You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. That was good. That was good. We're glad you're here with us today. If you're visiting with us, welcome to Kingsway. If you're watching at home online, we're glad you're tuning in, even if you're visiting or a regular tenor, whatever it is. We are in the middle of this series called Kazon, and every time somebody tries to pronounce it, they pronounce it a little bit wrong, and that's okay. If you're going to say it right, it's going to make a kind of sound because it's a Hebrew word, so I'm going to have you practice this word for a moment. We're going to say Kazon. If you're at home, just say it. Get ready to wipe off the screen. Okay, you ready? One, two, three, chazon. Yeah, yeah, chazon has to do with vision. We'll get to that in a second. But do you remember the dreams you once had about the way that your life would turn out? Do you remember that? Or maybe it was the way that you would turn out. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a scientist. I, uh, I heard my grandmother had come down with cancer. My grandfather had had like a massive heart attack. So I thought, you know what? I'm gonna be somebody who saves the world. And I thought, I'm gonna be a scientist and I'm gonna help solve and cure cancer. And then I got into fourth grade and got my first C ever in science. And I thought, I might wanna rethink this. It turns out I'm not real good at this. Uh, I really am, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm fascinated by it. I enjoy studying it, but not enough to be good at it, not enough to make a living out of it. And so all of a sudden, God started to direct my steps. When I was around 12 years old, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I got baptized in December of that year. And I'll never forget because at that moment, like something awakened in me. And I spent a lot of time in detention over the next couple years, and I'm blaming God. No, I'm not really blaming God, but I really did, because all of a sudden, I know this will surprise some of you, I went from being a super shy kid to all of a sudden being a super talkative kid. Now, I know that part's the shocking part, but no joke, my dad uh, oversaw a local insurance company, and um, he would often introduce me to either clients or people, and I would hide behind him. And he'd have to like shoo me out from behind him. He'd be like, quit being so shy. Does that surprise anybody at all? A little bit? Yeah. So here's the thing that I've learned, and that is this. God has been writing a story in my life. And he's taken every part of my life, good, bad, and otherwise, to bring this about to where I am here today. And if we had 44 years, I could tell you about all of it. You have to come on a regular basis to hear little snippets here and there. But God has been writing a story in your heart as well, in your life as well. And this is the root of Kazon. So Kazon comes from Proverbs 29, 18. In the King James Version, it says this, where there is no vision, that's Kazon, the people perish. Now, this is not a Kazon. Take a look here. Go ahead and put the picture up. Yes. This is a calzone, okay? Not the same thing. But everybody who hears this word in every meeting we have goes, now, when are we doing that calzone series? Like, oh, man, a calzone, put some cheese and some banana peppers. Any banana pepper lovers in here? Mighty ADHD is in full effect right now. All right, a couple of you, yes. Calzone is not a calzone. A calzone is a vision, a revelation, or even a dream. And the whole idea of this verse of Proverbs is that God has a revelation, a dream, a vision for your life, and he's writing it into being. How's it turning out so far? This comes from a book called Kazom. A guy named Craig Rochelle wrote this book. Highly recommend it. 
But today we're gonna focus on one specific thing and it'll be a little bit painful, but it'll get better as we go. Because here it is. What Craig Rochelle throws out in the book is there are these intersecting three things in your life. Your core values, your past experiences, and then what we call your spiritual gifts. Last week, we looked at core values and these things you gotta nail down, these areas where God is gonna use and shape your kazon. But today, we're gonna look at your past experiences, but where these three things intersect right here, that's the kazon, that's the sweet spot. That's how you know what God wants to do in your life. But here's my theory for today. My theory is this. God has been the author and the perfecter of your faith. That comes right out of the scriptures. He's been writing a story in your life. But many other people have had the edit pen throughout your life. And they have been editing your story. They have been speaking into your life something close to what God had in store for you or perhaps something radically different. Do you know what that feels like? Do you remember when somebody says a certain joke or a certain phrase or a certain nickname, the way that it really hurts you deeply? I've got this friend, and I remember asking him once, I was like, what is it like if I ever accidentally say it, uh, it's going to really put us in a bad place? And then he told me what it was, and I thought to myself, wow. I'm picturing my friend now in gym class when he was a younger man and other kids teasing him or mocking him in that way. And he's letting me know in a very vulnerable moment, yeah, look, man, in all the ways you could tease and joke, like, please don't go there. I've got those. Do you? Ways that maybe you tried something and failed and other people let you know. Have you ever noticed, by the way, some people can't stand failure? Do you know that failure is a part of learning? It's natural. Did you happen to go from lying on your belly as a baby to walking or running? Or was there a transition process of rising and falling and rising again? That is the natural part of learning. Failure is built into the system. And with God's grace, it works. But we're in a world who doesn't just want to encourage you in your failure to get better, to strive harder. They want to point out all your weaknesses, all your flaws, and all the ways you don't measure up. And we wear those on our hearts and sometimes on our sleeves as these wounds. And when somebody touches them, it's like, oh, man. You know what I'm talking about? I wrote this down. Maybe you haven't thought about your dreams in a long time. Maybe you settle for what's average or normal or bland. Or maybe those dreams haunt you every night and have become a constant reminder of your failure. Your dreams might be almost intangible to you, but you've just forgotten how to dream. But then here's the kicker. What you see in yourself today is a glimmer, a glimmer of what God sees in you. Do you know what a glimmer is? It's a flicker. We had some lights installed in our ceiling, some recessed lighting, and they're all like interconnected. And what I've been told is somewhere along the way, there's a bad connection, but it's nearly impossible to find. And so every once in a while, if you get the light combination with the dimmers just right between flipping these on and flipping these down or whatever it is, everything in the house just starts flickering. You ever had that happen? And you're like sitting there and you're watching TV and all of a sudden, and it's like, what was it? Did you see that? Was that lightning? Like what just happened? It was, just a, it was just a flicker, it was just a, gl- a glimmer, it was just there for a moment. But what if, what if 
What you see in yourself today is just a glimmer of something that God sees in you, something that he wants to write into your story, something he wants to bring out of you and bring real into the world. What if who you are is not an accident? But it's very much on purpose. Let me take you on a journey. I'm gonna tell you the story of a few people who this is their story, and maybe in some way or another, you'll see yourself in their story. A guy named David, King David, he writes about this. In fact, in Psalm 139, verse 13, King David says this, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Let's not go down a deep theological road for just a second, all right? But let's just go down a deep theological road for a split second. We're not going to hang out there too long. Does this mean that I have no decision and nobody else has any impact on my life because God has ordained all of my days before me? That is not how I would interpret that verse. What has been said is the Bible speaks to us, and it does, but the Psalms speak for us. When you read the Psalms, what you need to do is read them as prayers and songs back to God, thinking about, reflecting on life, and then processing it back out to God. They become our voice. In fact, Christians, for the first three or 400 years after Jesus, they actually use the Psalms as prayers and worship back to God. So that's why we read these Psalms and they come alive. There's parts of these Psalms, they're called a precatory Psalms, where it's like, the, the writer is just angry. They're mad at their enemies. They're like, God, kill them, smash them, destroy them. And you're like, I don't think I hate anybody quite that much. But they vo vocalize and verbalize when you're in a kind of place, they put words to it. So when we read this, what we see is this is King David, and it's like he's processing his life. And as he's thinking about his life, it's dawning on him that no matter how hard I try, I can't get away from you, God. If I go to the heights, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. If I'm in the darkness and I think I can hide from you, you still see me. No matter where I go and no matter what I do, you're there. But then not only are you there, you're not just there to expose me or embarrass me or shame me. You're there to bring about goodness in my life as all of the days of my life were written in your book. You knew them all anyway. And not one of them prevented you from loving me in the first place. Are you with me? What if God knew all the days of your life, your best days and your worst days, the days when other people did stuff to you that you did not see coming, and the days that you did stuff to others that nobody saw coming? What if he loved you anyway? Well, this David, he was uh, the youngest of his brothers, and he was a shepherd boy meaning he had responsibility over his daddy's flock, and he would go out and take care of the sheep. He wasn't significant or important, so when Samuel came to the house of Jesse to choose who would be the next king because God was removing Saul, none of the guys fit the bill, and nobody thought for a second that it would be David. He was just a ruddy kind of teenage boy. We don't exactly know how old he is, but pick any 15-year-old you know. Are they ready to be king? Except for you, clearly, when you were 15 years old, you were ready. And the reality is no 15-year-old is fully ready. But God was coming to the house that day to anoint him. And where's David? He's out taking care of the sheep. And the very next story we see after this anointing day is one day the Israelites are gathered on one cliff. 
and we've got the Philistines gathered on the other, and there's a big valley in the middle, and there's a very large man in the middle, and he is yelling and screaming curses at the people of God, saying, why don't you send down your best soldier, and he'll fight me, winner take all. And nobody dares go down. Day after day after day, he taunts and he threatens and he mocks the God of Israel. And Saul is hiding out, going, is anybody gonna go? Well, you're the king. Yeah, 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 but I gotta lead, you know? So anybody else gonna go? And David shows up to bring some food to his brothers because his daddy sent him, because he's just a shepherd boy. He's not even good enough to fight. And he shows up and he's like, I got it. Like, you what? You're a shepherd boy, you're a boy. He's like, no, 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 I got this. In fact, he says in Psalm 139, I want you to get this. Psalm one, no, that's not right. Sorry, 1 Samuel 17, wrong passage. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. That's why we don't think you're ready, David. That's exactly right. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Okay, that's a bad 15-year-old dude right there, first of all, all right? Like, I know you were tough. You got nothing on David, all right? True Renaissance man, singer, poet, ladies' man, warrior. He's like perfect, man, except for the sin. But we'll leave that aside. Anyway, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And then notice this, verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Do you catch that? His past experience taught him what? God is with me. And that's a big dude. What's the worst that happens? Is it gonna kill me? What if God, when it says he ordained the days of your life, wasn't literally saying, and today, guys, we're gonna have Burger King. Today, guys, we're gonna eat Chick-fil-A, and everybody said, today, guys, we're gonna, we're gonna drive this way, and we're gonna get gas at this gas station. What if that's not what ordained meant? What if ordained was some sort of beautiful interplay between God sovereignly saying, eat where you want today. Oh, by the way, if you eat Burger King every day, there are impacts on your body. Don't blame me. There's responsibility in this. But somehow, no matter what decisions you make today, ultimately, I am working all things together for your good. And David is coming to realize God was emboldening me through my past. God was seizing my situations when I was out in the field and I was desperate. It was my job to protect the sheep. And I'm crying out to God to help me. And in the moment, I didn't shrink back in fear, but I stepped forward in faith and God showed me in that moment that he would show up. I don't know what's gonna happen down there. This is why David doesn't grab one stone. I've always found that fascinating. If you're so convinced, David, why why do you need more than one stone, right? Because David's going, I don't know how God's going to do it. I only know that he taught me from my past that he will. Now, this is a great story of success, right? But what about stories of pain and failure? We see another story. We find this in the book of Genesis. A guy named Joseph. Many of you are familiar with him in his Technicolor dream coat. But Joseph... 
is like the desired son. So if you don't know the whole family history, I don't have time to go into it. I've done it in other series. But his daddy wants to marry this woman. He is infatuated. In fact, he's sinfully infatuated with this woman. And her dad tricks him. And he ends up marrying her sister first. But he doesn't really want to be with her sister. He wants to be with her. So after continuing to work for dad, he ends up getting to marry the sister as well. So now he's got two wives. And as you can imagine, their sisters, they fight a lot. But the sister, who he didn't want to marry, keeps having children. And it's so part of her story. If we were making that the focus today, I would show you how God is connecting the dots with each child. God is trying to show her, I'm with you. But then finally, the the wife he wants to be with gets pregnant as well, and that's Joseph. And so dad shows him special favor all the time, literally gives him this colorful coat he doesn't give his brothers. And as you can imagine, the brothers are quite angry. What has he done that makes him so special? We were here first. We've been working hard for you, and so on and so on. But Joseph starts to have these dreams. Literally, God gives him dreams. And one day, all of his family are gonna bow down to him. Now tell me how well that would go with your sibling. Do you think if you had a dream tonight that all of your family was going to bow down to you, that you would wake up tomorrow and go, you're never gonna believe this. Last night, you were bowing down to me. Isn't that cool? But that's exactly what Joseph did. Probably in his youngness, maybe a little bit of his arrogance, or perhaps by God moving in him and stirring in him, he goes and tells everybody, and it only made the brothers more mad. And it doesn't just happen once, it happens twice. So the brothers finally concoct a plan, and they beat him up, and they throw him in a cistern, and then they eventually sell him as a slave and take blood of an animal and put it on his beautiful technicolor dream coat, take it back to dad, say, dad, he was killed, we're so sorry, and dad thinks his son is dead. What do you do when the path of your story is getting rewritten by the hands of other people? David's story is amazing, right? Smash Goliath, yes! But what about the other side? when it's hard and it's painful and it stinks. Was God any less sovereign? Was God any less in control? Does that mean that God made the brothers do this? No. But does that mean that God knew and was gonna find a way if and only if Joseph would continue to seek after God? So sure enough, Joseph works his way as a slave up to where he's, kind of like the lead servant in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar is a very powerful man in Egypt, the most powerful nation on the planet. But again, the hands of somebody else edits Joseph's story. Potiphar's wife becomes infatuated with Joseph. She concocts a plan to try to seduce him. And he says, I'll have nothing to do with it. And what's interesting is when he won't give in to her plans, he says, I will not sin against my God in this way. He doesn't say Potiphar. He says, I will not sin against my God in this way. Well, she gets angry. And what is it? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Whoo, she does him in. And he ends up thrown in prison for doing the right thing. Ever had that happen to you? What Joseph decides to do is, I'm sure he had some nights of woe, but instead of just being grumpy and bitter and angry all the time, he turns his heart and his attention towards the Lord. And the Lord takes over and starts to rewrite his story. And if you don't know the story of Joseph, go read it the book of Genesis sometime. It's amazing. Because what ends up happening is he proves himself. He gets out of prison by the hand of God. And he ends up becoming the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. In fact, God puts him over the distribution of the resources of Egypt when there's a massive famine wrecking the area. And his own family, who doesn't even know, they think he's a slave somewhere else. 
They got to come to this guy now and beg for his help. And Joseph recognizes them immediately. And he's got a choice to punish them or forgive them. And in an intense-filled moment, in Genesis 50, the family is before him begging for mercy. In Genesis 50, 19, it says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he assured them and he spoke kindly to them. You intended to harm me, verse 20, put that back up there if you will, verse 20. But God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done. Is it possible that all of those times in your life when others have edited God's story, at the end of the day, God was using it all for good? Are you with me? That no matter how hard other people try, they cannot ultimately edit and change what God is doing in your life. That he's going to somehow bring in those pieces of evil and pain and heartache and use them to shape and reshape you over and over and over again. This is part of God's kazon for you. That all of the days of your life are ordained before him. I picked up a book. I, I, I don't want to reference a book in the middle of a book, but I'm going to do it anyway because I don't want to confuse you. But I'm reading this book right now. It's so good. I'm just loving this book. I can't wait. Like my, one of my goals for this year that I talked about a couple of weeks ago, I didn't share this one, is to go through this book personally and then to lead a group of people through it and then maybe multiple times this year. Like I'm just so loving this book. It's called Unhindered. And the author is a father and a son. Uh, you guys have heard me talk about Dr. Walker at the Blessings Ranch before. I've told many stories about him. He's one of the authors. I said son. I meant his daughter. I apologize. His daughter is the co-author in the book and they work together at the Blessing Ranch. And in the book, he tells this story. I'm just going to read it from my notes out of the book. It says this, I, John, grew up in a family that was loving and good, but hard work with no excuses and no complaining, along with a Christian commitment, was the essence of our family life. When I was very young, an injury led to repeated times of humiliation, especially in school, and planted seeds of fear and inadequacy deep inside me. It taught me to be afraid of being seen as stupid and consequently to always over-prepare. I had no idea this was my secret coping strategy and neither did anyone else. Everyone who saw me assumed that I was just a good kid who seemed to have it all together. In my adult life, this process morphed into a need to be seen as thoroughly competent and to achieve success in everything I attempted. Validation from others was always significant. Nevertheless, it was always short-lived. I was only as good as my last performance. This led to a lot of pressure and anxiety. Anybody clicking? It also led to me becoming increasingly private because I didn't want anyone to see that my outward portrayal and my inward experience didn't match up. But some others saw me as a perfect phony arrogant and prideful. Nothing showed this more clearly to me than the honest yet hard to swallow feedback my classmates gave me when I was in my master's degree program. They said, John, you're just simply unlikable. You present yourself as so perfect and put together. We know that no one is that perfect, so we just can't believe it. The story that God had for me was completely different from the perfect phony story. He had a story for me built on security in my heart and security in my life. 
And I had to learn that God had gifted me with wisdom and ability far beyond my capacity. And then he said, and I've got this quote for you. I discovered the truth that my achievement wasn't for me, but for others. It was my service. See, he's coming to these conclusions that God was doing something in his story and others were trying to rewrite his story, but it was still the way he was wired was from God. What if the way that you were wired is from God and he's trying to direct your life? If you would just, as the phrase goes, stop kicking against the goad. Stop fighting against what God is trying to do and instead partner with him and let him write the story. The phrase that I've been using a lot with people when I'm doing counseling kinds of sessions is, what if we were all being fathered by God? And I realize the word father may be painful to you, but that's because you haven't read your Bible and listened to Jesus enough to understand that God is a good father. He's maybe not like your dad, depending on what your dad was like. How would I know? Would hardship or pain or difficult decisions or my sin or other sin have the power to unwrite or rewrite my story? And what Dr. Walker goes on to say is that my willingness to pay a high price wasn't so that I could receive validation. It was so that I could go the extra mile to come alongside to help people. The healing that took place showed me that I have nothing to fear and nothing to be ashamed of. Consequently, there's no need to hide. I can use my voice, stick my neck out, and take great risks for the kingdom of God. And then he says, I'm courageous and strong. God is with me. And I can trust him even when I don't understand or can't control or fix problems. My true genius in Christ is my willingness to show up and know that it's more than enough. Some people may still not like me, and I may not get it right every time, but at least I'm not a phony. I know you've never spent time with Dr. Walker. I have uh, multiple times. He used to be in Colorado, and it was a 45-minute trip up there. I have met God in profound ways under his leadership before. But one day we were meeting and I was asking him how what he does, you know, explain it to me. And basically he would have five days a week and he would usually meet with two different clients, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And so depending on which set of sessions you had, he said, Matt, I go, it's only five days. And then they go back and they got five days to try to solve major things that are, people are coming to him. Pastors, CEOs, leaders of all kinds, Christians, uh, in, who are elders and leaders in churches. And they come in with major, major brokenness and pain. That's why they're there. And he said, we got five days to figure this out. It's not easy. He goes, I go to bed every night carrying the burden of a new set of two people. He said, but I go to bed every night knowing that God is writing the story and I'm just joining with him. It's a change. When the weight of the world is on my shoulders and I gotta fix everybody and save everybody and do everything, it is exhausting and depleting. Trust me, I know. But when God is writing a story, I'm not responsible for all of that. The only thing that I'm responsible for is to be whoever God has called me to be in each moment that I'm there and to realize he's writing a story and I'm just his partner. And I hope this is reaching somebody today. I hope this is encouraging you, challenging you, and speaking to you, doing something inside you. Because here's the thing I found most fascinating. His daughter is the co-author of this book. And she goes on and she shares her own childhood story. And why this is fascinating, and I'm gonna read it in just a second, but why it's fascinating to me is I'm thinking, here she is being raised in the home of the guy writing the book. 
She doesn't have a story, right? Everything's perfect. She's never gone through hardship or struggle. And when she did, her mommy and daddy knew exactly what to do with it. Except for guess what? We're all sinners, being raised by sinners and raising sinners. I hope you're encouraged today. Welcome to Kingsway. You are a sinner raised by sinners and you're raising sinners who are raising sinners who are raising sinners who are raising sinners and you are in desperate need of a new editor of your story. Here's how hers looks. So I wanted to give, I know this is long, but I wanted to give a female perspective as well. She says, God meant for me, Charity, that's her name, to be a leader. But I didn't know it for the first 30 years of my life. I was a kid. On the first day of kindergarten, I asked my mom if I could just sit in the back by myself. The scariest thing was to be seen and noticed. I liked the shadows. Even though it came out of my shell to some extent as I grew up, I still tried to keep part of me hidden. I developed great friends, got good grades, and made every sports team I ever tried out for. Nevertheless, I was afraid for people to really see me. Sound like you? I can't remember despite, or sorry, I can remember despising questions like, what's your favorite movie? I'd immediately think, I don't know, what should my favorite movie be? In high school, I was utterly embarrassed when my friends gave me a hard time for a car accident that was my fault. Mistakes like that flooded me with shame. I wanted to push them out of my mind as fast as possible. Later, when I figured out that alcohol could help me avoid the insecurity, shame, and pain, I started using it often as a tactic just to feel numb. I was too ashamed to ask for help and failed miserably trying to fix it on my own. For many years, the echoes of insecurity haunted me. Nevertheless, there was a boldness within me. When I got on the starting block to swim a race, I wasn't gonna let anyone tell me I couldn't win. But when it came to revealing my heart, I was sure I was going to lose. The boldness of that little 10-year-old on the starting blocks was a glimmer of my true self, the story God wanted to write for me. And then she says, and I got this on the screen for you, even though shyness was a natural part of who I was, God never intended for me to be dominated by shame. He never wanted me to doubt myself. He never meant for me to hide and hold back. God had to edit the story of my heart so that I could learn what it means to walk boldly in the spirit and how to let the voice of the spirit flow through me. She says, I sometimes still hear those voices of self-doubt. My first instinct is to hide but God has revealed his vision for me and I won't turn back. Every day I choose to declare, I am bold. It seems that Joshua 1.9 was written for me. This is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. My favorite verse in the whole Bible, I know I say it's a different one every week and I'm not trying to lie to you. I just love a lot of them. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. I often tell you what Greek and Hebrew words mean because it brings about power. And in this situation, the word all, do you know what it means? It means all. I know that was profound, right? Like, <laughs> wow, pastor, I, I didn't see that one coming. But see, you didn't see it coming. Because you thought that thing that you did 
could somehow rewrite your story in a way that God couldn't use. Or that bitterness and hurt and unforgiveness that you're still carrying around from the thing that happened before, you thought that was the definition of your story from here on out. But if Paul knows what he's talking about, and I think Paul's been through some stuff, some stupid stuff he did, like, you know, killing people in the name of God, to actually just suffering tremendously at the hands of others who didn't understand his heart. And he's saying, no, look, I know this. In all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. So I guess the only question we have less to answer is, do you love God? If you love God, he's writing your story. He's rewriting your story. He's editing your story to bring about something beautiful and good. He's made you and fashioned you and crafted you in your mama's womb for a reason in this world. Amen. Do you know what it is? Because Paul goes on in Philippians and he says this, he who began, oh, sorry, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, God began something in you and he's not finished with you yet. Your worst day is not your only day. It's just a day. And it's a day that you don't have to let define you any longer. And if you really want to unpack this more, there's a phenomenal exercise at life.church slash Cazone. And then just go to session two, past experiences. And if you can't remember that, it's in our app. And if you can't remember that, just search Life Church Cazone. It'll come up and then go to the past experience. It's about 11 and a half minute video. It's literally like you're gonna grab some sticky notes and it's a really helpful exercise if you let the Holy Spirit lead you through it. It's very, very helpful. Let me close with this last word of encouragement. You need a safe place. You need a place to be known and to know, to forgive and be forgiven, to grow in your knowledge and understanding of God and discerning who, what he wants in your life. I'm in a group with some other men and we're about to have our last meeting. It's coming up here in just a couple weeks. It's called a covenant group. It's other pastors. God put us together. We've been together three years and I am heartbroken that it's ending, but I know God is birthing something new. In our very first retreat, I don't have the right to tell you any of their stories. I'll just say in our very first retreat, the leader went first and he went, here's one of my greatest failures. And it was like, wow, we're, we're just gonna go ahead and jump right into the deep end, aren't we? We're, hey, my name's Matt. I don't know any of you, but sure, why not? And his vulnerability allowed the rest of us to be vulnerable. And over the last three years, we've gone a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper. These guys know my greatest sins, my greatest mistakes, my greatest wounds. They've prayed with me, they wept with me. Just this morning, I got a text message from one of them. Man, life is really hard for one of them right now going through a lot of junk. He's like, just pray for me. I gotta get up and preach like nothing's wrong, but it's stuff. And I'm like, we got your back, brother. We're on our knees praying for him. And if I were to tell you each of their stories, the thing that I would tell you that amazes me the most is how when I hear their stories over these last three years, what they're doing today is exactly what God made them for, for this season of their life. It may not be forever, but God has directed and I can see it and I think they can too. Like, do you remember the thing you shared in that first year that we were together? Look, look how God's using that today. Look how he prepared you with that for this. Look how he's done this for this. And it's just like amazing to me. I am dumbfounded. One of the guys, this is how God is sovereign. One of the guys is in my role at my last church. He literally took my job after I left. Like he didn't take it from me. I came here and he got my job and God put us in a group and it's been so healing for my heart how God brought us together 
because I get to hear these cool stories about what my last church is doing. I'm like, yes, you go, God. It's just one of the ways that God has been good and faithful to me. He wants to do cool stuff for you. Amen. And that friend of mine, his name is Matt also, ironically, he's in my last job. He shared this devotion with us at our last retreat. Here's the very short version. He told me a story about a time that his friend was running a marathon. And apparently you have to, uh, you have to get into a certain pace in order to run a marathon. You gotta like submit, you gotta be a certain speed. They have these pace runners for the qualifying for these things. And his friend showed up and he asked him to come. So he went with his friend and flew to the place where they were doing the race. And the whole job of the pace setter, they're usually much faster than the pace they're at. The whole job of the pace setter is to make sure that the group finishes in the time frame that they said they were time. So they got their running watch or whatever, and they're just making sure that they're keeping the speed. And everybody knows that they run and finish with that guy, they're gonna be okay. And he said, so I watched my friend take off and I kind of watched him through the first part of the race, but it's a long race, a marathon. It's exhausting. So he said, I was tired and I went back to the room and I napped for a little bit. And about the time that I thought uh, my friend should be finishing, I got down and came down to the finish line. And I'm watching my friend come through and there's the pace runner out front. And I'm watching him for about the last half mile or so. And these guys who've been running for mile after mile after mile, 20, what is it, 26 miles? They're quitting. And they're falling behind. And if they don't keep up, with the pace setter, they're not gonna finish on time. And if they don't finish, they don't qualify. He said, and I'm watching the pace setter. He's been with these guys for 26 miles, challenging them and encouraging them. And he's yelling at them and he's throwing out some words that we're not gonna throw out this morning, but <laughs> you get your backside up here. Don't you quit on me. I know it's hard. I know you're tired. I know you want to quit. Don't quit. Get up here. Give it all you got. And he's watching some of these guys' faces turning red, trying their best to finish the race. But he's also watching some of them because it hurts too much. Quit. And as your pastor... Don't let the hardship of the race cause you to quit. Life is hard. But God is writing a story from the good and from the bad, from your successes, from your failures, from your pain, from your glory. Don't quit. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, chapter 12, therefore, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And I love that, by the way, because sin is not the only thing that's gonna trip you up, is it? It's gonna be somebody else's mocking of you, some failure you had in the past, some unforgiveness over yourself, perhaps. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. My last challenge to you today as I wrap up is don't just hear these words, do something about them. 
Listen, I don't know exactly what you need, but you need others in your life who are gonna help unpack your past with you to celebrate the highs and to help you grieve the lows. If you are sitting here stirred and convicted by the spirit of God, would you just do me a favor and text the word connect right now. You could be at home to 317-565-4911. But don't quit. Don't quit on God. Don't quit on your church. Don't quit on your family. Don't quit on life. Don't quit. Let God be the author and the perfecter of your faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being such a good and faithful God. God, we've seen it in David's life. We've seen it in Joseph's life. We've seen it in Dr. Walker's life and his daughter's life. Let us see it in our life, Father. Write a story that only you could write. May we trust you more. And God, I pray right now a very special prayer for any man or woman watching at home or in this room who have never taken the step of faith to give you their life. May it begin there because you are working all things together for the good of those who love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.